invite you to turn in the Word of God this morning to Isaiah chapter 7, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. As you're turning there, three additional announcements amidst all the written ones, some of the mental notes uh, were omitted. Uh, two of them are notes of appreciation uh, to those of you that helped yesterday in our outreach in the Hispanic community. Thank you very much. There was Carol singing for a few hours in the neighborhood that we do outreach in from this church. And so thank you to everyone that helped with that, that joined with us to sing and to give out the leaflets, the invitations, and the tracts that were given out yesterday. We thank you in the Lord's name for your help and to all the children that joined in as well. Also a word of appreciation to those that have helped this past week in the preparation and the painting of the fellowship hall and the other building downstairs. So um, if you did not know, there's some updates being made there, which began with uh, painting, and that was, I think, pretty much done yesterday. So special appreciation to Scott Foster for him leading that and all the work and those that helped with that. Very much appreciated, and we're hoping to have a floor in also uh, this incoming week, God willing, hoping that it all We'll go ahead, so trust the Lord will be in that. So appreciate all of those matters. And then, of course, the table of the Lord is before us. So that is a table that is for the Lord's people. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're free to sit with us as we observe the Lord's table in this place, but please don't participate in it. It is for the Lord's people. Uh, if you know the Lord, you may come in this morning feeling your guilt and your shame, and your sin, but there's forgiveness with the Lord that He may be feared, and you can confess your sins, and He will receive you, and you can participate in this table. It's not for those that are without sin, it's for those that confess their sins freely, and He has a table of remembrance for us of all that He has done. So Isaiah chapter 7 is where we are before we come to the Lord's table, and for those of you that were here last year, when we got to December, we began a series looking at the texts of Messiah. So many of you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, and you listen to it at this time of the year, every year. Others of you do not. I found out last year that some of you have never listened, and some of you, as you did listen to it, you couldn't appreciate it either. I thought, how? How is that possible? But, I guess, in the Yorkshire phrasing of it, not queer as folk, which basically means there's nothing as odd as people. And uh, that, was, that was how you'd look at it when it comes to Handel's Messiah. But wherever you stand on your appreciation or lack thereof of Handel's Messiah, uh, we can look at the verses that he takes us through as you go through that wonderful arrangement of music that focuses upon the prophecies of Messiah's coming and the, the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and the worship that is due His name. So we've looked at some of the first verses already last December. I'm just picking up where we left off as we come to Isaiah chapter 7. Of course, verse 14 is mingled with Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 as well. So we'll read these passages, but we'll, I want to focus 
and give you some idea of the context and all that's going on. So we're reading from verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 7. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jeshub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Amen. We'll turn over, well, we'll just turn over to Matthew 1, actually, as well. Let me just read those verses. I wasn't going to, but it might be good for us to read Matthew 1, just to see the Lord making mention of this in the New Testament. We'll read from verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 15, 18, rather. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was in this wise... When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son 
And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word for his name's sake. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his help upon his word and preparing our hearts to remember him at the table as well. God, bless us now in our consideration of thy word. We pray that you will hush our hearts and our spirits, remove the distractions, and may it please thee to give us ears to hear. O Holy Ghost, come, come and quicken thy people, come and speak to the unsaved, and we'll give thee praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When we gather on the Lord's day, our prayer ought always to be that the Lord would meet with us. We prayed for that already today, and we pray for often, meet with us, Lord. Meet with us in this place. But we may ask the question, to what end? Why would we ask for God to meet with us? Why should it be our prayer that God would meet with us? And one reason that may be given, among other reasons that may be given, is simply that we might rightly minister to our generation. Remember last Lord's Day, we thought of David and how it was said of him that he served his own generation before falling on sleep. And we are all called to serve our generation. We can't serve other generations. We can't influence other generations directly with our lives, with our speech, with our works. They may in some way have repercussions in other days, but, but we can't directly serve any generation but our own. And so the time is always now, the time to serve God, the time to do His will. So we want to meet with God, and we want God to meet with us every Lord's Day so that we are thrust forth, that we leave the house of God ready to minister to our generation. The prophet Isaiah had this experience. In the previous chapter, chapter 6, one of the most familiar chapters of this prophecy, you have him being dealt with by God. The prophet has an experience that he would never forget. God meets with him. God condescends to him. God confronts him. And this man is laid low. And one of the things that results of him meeting with God is the, the feeling of his own sin. And so he cries out, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He, he is acknowledging his sin. And the comfort that then flows from that is that he learns God is able to deal with sin. Look at it. Go back to it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse, we might read from verse 5, when he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. That was the comfort. 
having been exposed to not just the sin of the nation that comes previously, he already is aware of the, the issues of his generation and what he's living in among, but now he has his own heart exposed. It's a revelation of his own standing before God. He is, he is brought to be laid low, comprehending his own shortcomings before the living God. You see, that's, that's part of the reason we come here. We don't gather into the house of God to ignore sin. We gather in the house of God to be confronted with the reality of our sin, that in turn we may learn afresh that there's an answer for it. And then we go from this place. We enter into our generation seeing all the sin around us and recognizing with hopeful hearts there is a solution. God is able to deal with sin. And so Isaiah is raised up as a man who has learned in a memorable and profound fashion that as God can deal with his sin, as he has felt the weight of his own corruption and the impossibility of it ever being removed by his own works, he then goes forward into a generation full of sin, able to proclaim to them the hope of the gospel, that God, as he has dealt with the prophet's sin, he will also deal with the sin of those in his generation if they will only acknowledge it and repent as he had done. Well, his first call, at least as we have it here, is to go to the king, to go to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and to confront him, to speak to him, to give him what God's message is for that time. And Judah is facing a threat, a threat of two kings that are in the north, one of them being Israel, that the northern ten tribes sometimes referred to here in this passage and other places as Ephraim. You see that in verse 2, that Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and the other, of course, being Syria. And Syria and, and, and Israel or Ephraim are coming together to make war against the southern kingdom of Judah. And when Ahaz learns of this, he is scared. You see that again, verse 2, his heart was moved and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Here's a man who is scared. He doesn't have an answer for this. He, he feels himself trembling in the midst of the threat of what is coming against him. And so when he is told of this, the prophet then says to him, verse 4, take heed. Listen up. Yes. Yes, we're not good listeners. We're not. Not just when we're giving the announcements, by the way, but also even when God's Word is being spoken. We're not good at hearing. Our Lord Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 8, take heed how ye hear. There is activity involved, energy required, effort to be applied in the hearing of God's Word. So remember that this morning. So the prophet goes to the king. Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. So it's words to, to still his soul, to calm his spirits, to encourage him that, that he need not fear, he need not be overwhelmed. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Their plans will be thwarted. Just listen. Just listen. 
The question then is, will Ahaz listen? Will Ahaz believe? Will he? Verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If he will not believe, surely he shall not be established. You will not carry on if you don't believe me. If you don't listen to what I'm saying, if you don't take to heart what is being put before you in this moment. Oh, I wonder, men and women, I wonder, beloved, how often God speaks to our hearts and we don't listen. And He communicates to our souls and we fail to take heed. And then we wonder, we wonder why we suffer the afflictions we suffer and the doubts that fill our souls and the concerns that keep us awake. It's not because there isn't a word to us. There is. But are we listening? Are we listening? Now we come to this time of the year. And we, just because we're singing and rejoicing and all sorts of things and we exchange gifts and have family time together doesn't make all the problems go away. In fact, sometimes they come to a point, don't they? At times, December can be the most difficult month of the year because some of our trials... Peculiar difficulties are felt more keenly. But oh, if we would just hear the word of the Lord to us. So, as we look at these, this text that is one of the texts that Handel brings you to early on. I've given it the title simply, A Sign of the Lord Thy God. A Sign of the Lord Thy God. You can see that in verse 11. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. And I want you to note, very simply, three things. First, a sign commanded. A sign commanded. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Note note how he, he uses, you see the uppercase of the Lord there. The sign of the covenant-keeping God, Jehovah. Ask the sign of your covenant-keeping God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. In other words, whatever it is, whatever you think is necessary for this moment, if you think it needs to be some fire and brimstone from heaven, ask for the sign. A pestilence that will wipe out your enemies. Ask for the sign. Whatever it is, Ahaz, ask for it. God is commanding him to ask for it. God is telling him, ask for it. This is greatly encouraging. Many believers would love for this. God comes to you and says, what do you want? What is it? Name it. Name what it is you want. Name the desire. Name the burden. Name the answer for your problems. Just name it. Well, the Lord seldom comes to men like this. But he comes to Ahaz like this. But it shows, it shows the condescending nature of God that he condescends. 
If nothing else, we learn in the nature of God, He does condescend to men. And not just to Ahaz, to us as well. Oh, how often has it been? It may not be in this way. As we face our problems and our trials, the Lord does come and meet with us. And He condescends right at the point where we're struggling. And He gives us a word. Or He answers the cry of our hearts. Or He comes in at the last moment in a way that overwhelms us. We can't believe that He has actually done that thing that was upon our souls. This is our God. And maybe you've had it this past week. Oh, don't come forgetting it. Come into the house of God remembering. Remembering that your God, your God condescends. He answers prayer. He comes to you. He sees the burden. Oh, why, why else pray? If we thought that God would always keep Himself afar off from us. He doesn't. He comes near. So it's a sign commanded. I want you to note that. God is coming, commanding, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. But we move on then to see it's a sign rejected. A sign rejected. Read on. Verse 12. Look at it. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. So, there are two things I want you to note here in this sign rejected. First of all, the stated reason for not asking for a sign. The stated reason for not asking for a sign is given to us here in verse 12. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He, he, is, he is arguing, really. It, it would look like it. He, he's making a leg, legitimate excuse not to ask because he doesn't want to be seen as tempting God. So on the surface of it, we might say, well, well, this is a very pious response. Ahaz here is, is showing that he doesn't want to fall into the, the, the crimes and the sins and the unbelief of previous generations that have been dealt with by God. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, and maybe this is what is on his mind, whether well, we're going to see how legitimate it is, but in Deuteronomy 6, 16, his forefathers were warned, ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Now, how do they tempt or how did they tempt God in Massa? Go to Exodus 17. Just go back there for a moment. And we learn of the event that is mentioned in Deuteronomy. Of course, Deuteronomy is just before they enter into the promised land. So about a number of decades have passed, and they're being reminded. They're being reminded of the record given in Exodus 17. Something that their fathers had been guilty of. Exodus 17, verse 1. And all the children of and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Go down to verse 7. We can't spend too much time here. But he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So this, is, this isn't an isolated event. 
frequently the children of Israel would come to God and say, we want this, we want that, we're not happy with the circumstances, they were finding issue with, with everything that was transpiring. I mean, in one sense you might read it and think, well, well, we need water, you know, it's a legitimate concern, why, why not ask for water, why not do it in this way? But, but it was coming across in the way they were tempting God as if God was not going to provide what they needed after having delivered them from Egypt and brought them out with his outstretched arm and, and given them the bread from heaven and every evidence every day that he was caring for them. And there's constant evidence that he is caring, he is shepherding, he is guiding, he is providing in every way. And now, now we read this and we think, ah, we're, we're so different, but we're not. God has taken care of you every day up to this point. Every day. Every day He gives you your daily bread. Every day He meets your need. Every day He sustains. And still, you may be here this morning questioning His wisdom and His goodness. We're no different. We are no different. And we tempt the Lord. We tempt Him. So this is the reason then it is given by Ahaz. I will not ask, implied as for the sign, I will not ask, neither will I tempt or test the Lord. So was his refusal honorable? Is this really the root of his concern? Is he, is he worried about tempting God? Well, that brings us then to consider the real reason for not asking for a sign, the real reason. I have, I have time. Turn to, uh, well, maybe turn to Second Chronicles. I could turn you to Second Kings as well, but turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 28. Get a little insight into this man Ahaz, and I can encourage you to look at chapter 16 as well of Second Kings in your own time. Select a few verses here to read of, of Ahaz. Look, look at verse 1 of Second Chronicles 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives and brought them to Damascus. He was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. And you're given some details of the events, 120,000 in one day, other matters that are given, historical record of what, what occurs. And verse 16 we read, At that time did King Ahaz send unto the, unto the kings of Assyria to help him. Ah! Ah! What's Ahaz's answer for the problem that he is facing in the north? What's his answer? 
rather than believing God, rather than taking the sign, he's already got his answer. My answer lies in Assyria. To go north and to the east a little bit, and there is a king there that's a rising power. Let me make an alliance with him, and he will then provide deliverance from Israel and Syria. Verse 19 says, The Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. He made Judah naked and transgressed sore or exceedingly against the Lord. Verse 22, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. Ah, in the time of his distress, should he not cry to the God of heaven? Ought he not to pray? Ought he not to turn his eyes heavenward and cry for mercy? No, no, he won't. He won't. And this is the real reason why he will not ask for a sign. The real reason he will not ask for a sign is because he believes an alliance with Assyria will give better success and guarantee more hope for him than believing the God of heaven. Some strange, unusual event in the history. We never see that happen in our day, do we? Oh, yes, we do. All the time. All the time. You're here this morning, perhaps, and you're not in Christ. You're not saved. And what is put before you every Lord's day, and perhaps even in your home on other occasions, what is put before you is God's answer for your sin. A Redeemer, a Savior, one who is born of our bone and flesh of our flesh, who has condescended into the world to be made sin for us, even though He Himself knew no sin. We might be made the righteousness of God in Him. A message of reconciliation. A message that calls you as a sinner to cast off every effort of the flesh to save yourself. Every alliance with a church with an organization, with religious deeds and activities, with your own good behavior, cast off alliances with other things and run to Christ. And you haven't yet. You haven't done it. You're still trusting, thinking you're good enough. Still believing, still believing that, that you can work your own robe of righteousness. Or that God will not really deal with you as harshly as the Bible communicates, that, that He will look mercifully upon you despite the fact you've rejected His Son as the only way of salvation. People do it all the time. Go down to Greenville. Talk to them. Talk to them. With whom have they made an alliance for deliverance? Is it Christ? Or something else. Are you saved? You ask the question. The answer that comes back, yes, I go to church. 
or I go to such and such a church. What is that but Ahaz's alliance? That's all it is. Ahaz's alliance. Yeah, that's not going to save you. I go to First Baptist. I go to Second whatever. I go to... That's not going to save you. And neither will being found in attendance here. You're lost. Without Christ, you're lost. And you can't save yourself. You cannot save yourself. And you can, you can say, you can, you, can, you can point to all the problems. You can point to all the issues. You can say, here's the reason why I don't believe. That's the other reason why I don't believe. And you can even sound pious like Ahaz. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. That's like someone saying, I will not seek Christ because I'm too bad. I'm too bad. I'll not seek Christ because I'm too sinful. No. No, you, you think that's legitimate, but that's, that's wicked. Very wicked. Because he has come and he has, he has given the answer. Take it, take it. It's just like he came to Ahaz and says, just ask, just, just take it. Take it. Deliverance is in the grasp of a simple request. Just, just ask for it. Just like all you need to do is confess your sins. All you need to do is turn to Christ, behold the Lamb, look to the Son of God who died for sinners and you will not. But I ask you again this morning, why not? Why not? Don't be a fool. Don't go down in history like an Ahaz. Turn to Christ. Turn today. This rejection of a divine solution in favor of a human solution is pivotal, really, in Judah's history. Things go downhill from here in a big way. Now, Hezekiah will follow, and there are one or two good kings that come after, but, but things, things really begin to decline from this point. Verse 13, he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Do you see the change? Do you see the shift in the language? The prophet here is speaking, and when he had spoken before, in verse 11, ask thee a sign of your covenant-keeping God. That's, that's it. Lord, capitals, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. Ask, ask from him. But now look at the shift. The prophet now says, will you weary my God also? Not your God, my God. You have turned. You have turned, Ahaz. You have turned. We no longer worship the same God. That is clear. You have worshipped another God. You have turned to the God of the heathen. You turned to the machinery of men. Oh, Ahaz was, was wicked. He had suffered much already. 
God is being merciful to him, coming to him, asking him, saying to him, ask a sign of me, I will deliver you. Ask for victory in the battle. Ask that I might deal with your enemies, all to no avail. So, so many, many people today, and maybe some here this morning, you're just like Ahaz, really. You navigate through life on your own. You think you can do it. You think you've got it together, and you think you've got the courage and the strength and the wisdom and the answers. You think you've got it, and you don't. You don't. And you will refuse to bow. You will refuse to pray. You will refuse to fast. You will refuse to seek God. You will refuse to bring the matters to Him and leave them there. You don't know how to cast all your care upon Him who cares for you. You want to carry all those burdens yourself. And Christians are guilty of the same thing. Christian, you walk through life often. You walk through life carrying the burdens that the Lord says He'll carry for you. And you get all worried about it. And you have to receive the rebuke even of the Lord at various times when He warns us, you know, these things the Gentiles seek for. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. What are you worried about them for? Get your priorities in order. Seek first the Lord and His kingdom, the matters that relate to Him. And you still, you still, yes, we're all the same. We still find ourselves on another path seeking for these foolish things that the Lord says He'll give. In one, in one sense, in a certain sense, the Lord has so gifted us, He doesn't even come and say, ask me for these things. He says, your Father knoweth. I already know you have need of these things. I already know. Just seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. But you won't. You won't. In your folly, you listen to the world out there that says, no, no, prioritize salary, prioritize comfort, the American dream, prioritize marriage and children, and all, and all of that has its place, don't get me wrong, but, but you're prioritizing these things. You think that this is the key to joy. This is what will make the difference in your life. I want significance. I therefore must be married. I must have this. I must attain a salary that impresses people. A title that will make them go, whoa, what does that involve? You know, this is, this is what you want. For what? For what? To what end? filled with their own views. They're not going to ask for, for those things that matter to the Lord. And we might even couch it in, in holy terminology like Ahaz. Neither will I tempt the Lord. <laughs> but we're weary in God. We are weary in God. We think prosperity is the works that we do, or the salary we have, and the children we bear, and the degrees we achieve, or the accolades we receive, and the views we hold, or in the stand we take. Ah, what does America need today? I ask you that question. Take a poll leaving here this morning. What would the answer be? Maybe the answer would be, we need more conservatives. That's what we need. We need more such and such supporters. Oh, really? Turn for a moment to Revelation 2. Let me, let me show you. Let me show you what you need, what we need, what America needs. Oh, this, 
Just another vote. Just another vote. That's the answer. Just another vote. Another vote in the right direction. That'll make the difference. <laughs> oh, we're slow. We're slow. But Jesus has written to his church so that you have no excuse. Revelation 2, verse 1. On to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Right, and let me just say, if, there, if there's a church that definitely speaks to us here, it's Ephesus. This is us. You know the Reformed churches, five points of Calvinism, you know, Westminster Confession, London Baptist, 1689. No, this is us. This is, you know, we've got it. Right, well, hear what the Lord says. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Is that you? As you look at the news today, is that you? I can't bear them that are evil. We read of it in the Psalm, Psalm 119. It may avoid thy law. It may avoid. It's time for thee to work, Lord. So we feel it. And this is the church of Ephesus. He knows those are evil. Outside the church, inside the church, wherever. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Yes, I could list you a name. I could spend the rest of this sermon listing American preachers that we should mark and avoid. Could do it. I could do it. Some of you could do it. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Oh, isn't, isn't the answer having the right doctrine? Isn't the answer having the right confessions and creeds? Isn't the answer gathering on the Lord's day and, and showing Him that we, we, we are in the right camp? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't it making sure we, we voted for the right person? And we're on the right side of history, so to speak. Isn't it all of that? No! No! It is love for Christ. That's what matters. And don't say amen just because the problem's in other people. <laughs> say amen to your own soul. I say that as someone who would say amen as well. Make sure I don't miss it. Make sure I don't miss it. I could be harsh in all the flawed preaching in the pulpits of America today. I could be. And the Lord says it's good. I don't, don't ignore it. He's saying this is good. I know thy works. These are good things. He appreciates this. He's for that, trying the wrong people, making sure that people know who's right. He's for, all, he's for all of that. But you can have all of that. And still, not just have a problem, but a problem that actually threatens the removal of the presence of Christ in your midst. Because that's what he goes on to say. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen? Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. 
This thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You hate what I hate. That's good. That's where you want to be. You want to be there. But not just there. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Listen up. Listen up. America's answer is not more conservative votes. It's not. It's not. The answer for America is love for Christ. Love for Christ. Love that gets you up in the morning saying, this is my chief end, to love Christ with all my heart. This is my goal. It is to tell a perishing world that Christ loves sinners. He eats with them. He will receive them and all their sin. And he will take them from, yes, all their, their liberal perspectives and views and all the folly that has been poured into them for years as they've lived and they think this way about economics and they think that way about women's rights and all the rest of it. But get to the core of the issue. They need Christ. They need Christ. And that's the first thing. That is the first thing. It's number one. It's number one. Ah, yes, and if you're involved in politics or you get involved in politics, realize that number one is that men must love Christ. They must love Christ. Hold all these other views. They can have them. But you can have all those right views. You can have them. And you can stroke every T correctly and dot every I perfectly. And Christ still says, I have somewhat against thee. I have somewhat against thee. Oh, are you feeling it? Are you feeling the conviction? God help us. God help us to feel it. Help us to feel it. Yes, this morning I'm going after you. I'm going after you and me and here. Not making alliances with the world. We are to learn to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every day's purpose is to love Him and to show that love to our children, to our neighbors. Which brings us thirdly. Go back to Isaiah 7. A sign appointed. A sign appointed. There is therefore a sign appointed. Ahaz was offered a sign. You can choose it, Ahaz, whatever you want. It's now taken from him. And now we have a sign not offered, but appointed. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Many struggle to come to agreement on what's the contemporary fulfillment of this. How did it happen in Ahaz's day around that time? There's different ideas and at some point to his son that is to be born. You read about him in chapter 8, verse 3. Meher Shalahashbaz and the things that are said about him, that there's a certain type of fulfillment there, and that that may be the case, but it's limited. It's a limited fulfillment, if at all. Because the real fulfillment comes as Matthew declared, what we read in Matthew 1, the real fulfillment is there. It is there. Ah, What did he say? All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Christ was born. And when he was born, the land that thou abhorrest, Ahaz abhors, end of verse 16, shall be forsaken of both her kings. That is, there will not be a king in Judah, and there will not be a king in Israel. And when Christ was born, that was the case. There was no king. There was no, well, there was, there was a king. His name was Herod. But Herod, Herod was an Edomite. That is, he was descended from Esau, not Jacob. And even his family line was saying, don't trust this king. This, isn't, this is a faulty king, a pseudo-king. He doesn't belong. You're waiting for another king. You're waiting for another king. His name is Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the king you're waiting for. That's the one you're looking to. That's the one you're to put your hope in. And so he comes. And so looking at this text, looking at it, two things. You can just meditate on this yourself. The miracle of this appointed sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Yes, what a miracle. What a miracle. He comes. What a sign. What a sign. You have the birth of one without natural, without the natural order of things. Of course, there are all sorts of reasons for that, but, but this, is, this is such a sign to us. It's such a sign. The seed of the woman, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent, and the seed of the woman, born without the aid of man. Yes. Yes, he is not like, we, we sang of it, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after Levite, because the Levitical priesthood had one that would live and die and live and die, and the sons of Aaron, they would live and die and live and die and live and die. But this one, this one, this priest has an everlasting priesthood. He stands able to minister perpetually, having offered one sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, sufficient to deal with all of the sins of men. And it all begins with this miracle. The miracle of the incarnation. Oh, when you're singing this Christmas, when you're singing this month, child of God, be amazed. Be amazed. Oh, I hope, I pray, Lord, help us this month as we sing. Help us. Help us to be amazed in this place. That we're amazed at the miracle of this sign, but also the message of this appointed sign, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Yes, he's given a name that communicates what's going on in this miracle. God is with us. God is with us. God. Ahaz didn't appreciate it, didn't care. He didn't want God with him. What a fool. What a fool. He tried to pacify the gods of the kings of those around him. False gods. And he led, he led Judah into it. And made his son to pass through the fire. You read of it there in 2 Chronicles 28. Offering his own children. When this God, when this God condescended, became flesh 
to bring salvation and he rejects it. Oh, such fools still live today. God with us. God condescending to man. God coming into the weariness of this old world to be the curse reverser, to undo all the consequences of Adam's rebellion, to make peace through the blood of his cross, to take our sins and nail them to Calvary's tree so that they're nailed there forever. Praise God. And you can sit at this table and they're not remembered against you. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, they're all gone. Gone! <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord! They're all gone. Yes, I've broken every commandment. Every single one. And every week that passes, I'm breaking them still. But oh, blessed crimson flow that comes from Calvary's cross. That washes away my sin. Yes. Yes. To what end is he God with us? It is that men still need deliverance. They're still like Ahaz with, with armies around them and threats before them and reasons to tremble like the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. That's, we've all, you have good reason to tremble like that. You do. But you don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> because God's with us in the person of his son. Oh, Beloved, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel is come. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel is come. How can we not? Oh, praise his name. May we rejoice with all of our hearts here today. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need help to be able to see the glories of who Thou art and what Thou hast done. And we sit here this morning at a table that we are to do in remembrance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Give us, give us sanctified minds here in these moments that we might remember with prophet, the great work of our Redeemer. Oh, that we would remember him in his appointed way. Help us to confess our sins in these moments. We have grieved thee, Lord. We have not loved thee. The condemnation of that letter to Ephesus is one that can be written over us. Oh, Lord, please don't withdraw the candlestick. Please don't withdraw your presence. Let us not get caught up in all sorts of things and think that we've achieved it when we have failed to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord Jesus, inflame our hearts with love for Thee. May it be easy for us to shed tears as we remember Calvary. May it be easy for us to shed tears of joy as we think of the pardon that is full and freely given. Oh, bless us. Be with us today. Come, come, blessed Spirit, minister to these hearts of ours as we sit at this table, we pray. In Jesus' name.